Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at overtheball.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Today on OTB, we catch up with Dominic Kinnear, former U.S. men's national team player, MLS coach, and now he's in Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati, a great sports town, and it's always great to get caught up with Dom. He's funny, insightful, heck of a player in his day, hell of a coach today. So, uh, Coach Shamides, I hope you had a better weekend than I did uh, as on a two-plus-week road trip. Flew back uh, from Boston to Dallas on a flight, one of the roughest flights I have ever been on. A lot of turbulence, really rough landing. That flight was only rivaled by the flight from Dallas to L.A. yesterday. Man. Oh, God. God, it's the worst. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm okay flying, but, man, people were screaming, throwing up. And the only reason I caught most of it was that the flight attendant, thankfully, woke me up. Thankfully, I would have slept right through that whole thing, but uh, but there she was to wake me up and tell me my seatbelt wasn't on. People so, were yelling. Well, people, you know, yeah, people were yelling um, in Spanish, actually, um, in, uh, in Spanish, which made it kind of scarier in a weird way, because <laughs> I didn't know what they were saying. My Spanish was a little rusty, um, but anyway, I got a chance in the lounge and then on the plane to watch. The Liverpool Man City game. You must have watched that. It was a hell of a game, man. What, well, what, yeah, it's man. a classic going in, right? You, 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 you highlight this one as a must see. And then, yeah. I, honestly, like, and I'm trying not to be dramatic, but when the game is over, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and I even shared this with my kids. I'm like, I think from a technical point of view, and, and arguably tactically as well, it's the greatest game I've ever seen. I've really? never seen a collection of 22 players play at a high level like that over 90 minutes constantly attacking constantly back and forth because you know you get national teams together and but but they're really kind of all-star groups that are kind of put together for a month of training and then they go to a world cup but these teams are so well played in they have the consistency of coaches the consistency of game model and they are the very very best players in the world right now all in these two teams if you will and to see them play, I, I was blown away by the level of play. Amazing. Yeah, how fast it was. And then, then they bring some people off the bench, and it changes the dynamic slightly, but still, it's pedal to the metal. Nobody parked the bus. You know, it was, just, it was just fantastic to watch. You know who I feel bad for? The El Trafico, because that was a hell of a game. And it might have stolen some of that thunder, because that is a great rivalry that you know very, very well. You must have watched that one as well. Yeah, fun to see. Obviously, Galaxy LAFC is fantastic to watch, and especially if you live in this market, it's it's yeah. it's it's a highlighted game in and of itself. You know, the, to have to watch it right after a Liverpool Man City isn't necessarily ideal, but yeah, the energy that that brings to Southern California, it's amazing to see. So fun. Yeah, so be good. Uh, up to you know, you're a coach. Dominic's a coach. I I definitely want to hit him up and hit both you guys up with what you sort of saw and because I thought it was interesting because the game was interesting in and of itself. But after the game, they, there was that love fest where they Claude, no, you're the best coach in the world. You're the best coach in the world. They went back and forth with that, but they are really. Um, and they're, they're players coaches. Players love to play for them. If you talk about it in an earlier generation of Mourinho, players don't necessarily like to play for them because when, 
when he wins, it's him. When he loses, it's the players. Didn't play well. And, and uh, these two coaches, man, it was – they talked tactics after the game, which I think a lot of the, the sort of um, pedestrian fan doesn't really ever think about too much. But what, what did you think about listening to some of that breakdown at the end of the game? Yeah, yeah. You know, we get, you get that nowadays. You actually get access to the, to the coaches and beyond just the standard press conferences where there's some generic answers. Sometimes yeah. you get a little bit more and it's revealing and it's interesting. And Klopp absolutely shared in depth tactically some of the thoughts that went into it. And you think about, oh, you're giving away secrets, but the reality is there's no secrets. It's just a, still a matter of, you know, picking a way of playing, picking a way of how you're going to deal in this case with Man City. And then they still have to execute it, which is virtually impossible. And that's why, you know, he can reveal anything he wants to reveal. It doesn't mean like someone's going to get an advantage by hearing it. But that's a pretty evolved way of thinking as opposed to a fear-based way of thinking. But I think in terms of the players and, and loving to play, I mean, for sure with Klopp, I think they love to play with him. Um, I'm not as convinced with City. You know, I think all yeah. the kissing and the hugging and all that stuff, there's always a sense that, hey, man, stop, stop touching me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not so sure that they love all that stuff because there's a certain amount of performance that goes He's with Latino. it. He's Latino. Yeah, that's Pep-centric maybe. And I'm not yeah. so sure players love that as much. But, you know, you'd have to ask them uh, one-on-one for that one. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point because talking tactics like Klopp did and sort of showing his cards – the one thing about you coaches is, you know, I know when I've been around guys, you know, even like, you know, Noonan, Coach Noonan or, or Nick O'Shea, my buddies who are coaches, they break it down pretty quickly. And so you can't tell me whatever Klopp was doing, Pep figured it out. And whatever Pep was doing, Klopp figured it out, made adjustments at halftime. You know, he was talking about Fabinho and, and um, uh, Henderson sort of pushing and trying to deny certain things. And, and then they figured out a way around it. But then you have De Bruyne on the other side of the ball, of course. So these are all... These are all, uh, you know, it's, it's organic, it's live, it's happening in the moment, and, and guys read it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other part of that is that, you know, when, you know, if you, if you go with the premise, and I do, that, that perfect attacking beats perfect defending, then, then you have to go in knowing that it's not going to be a 0-0 game because they land too many punches. They're just too good in the attack. Mm-hmm. And so with that being the case, there's the, going to be the roller coaster ride of the game and the human, the human emotion that goes into the game beyond just the technical and the tactical. And so it just makes the game fascinating. You know, if, if you think about games as bottles of wine, like this was the classic, you know, beautiful bottle of wine that we all got to open up. Oh, it was fantastic to watch. I would encourage anybody. I don't know if no soccer, non-soccer fans are listening to this show. In fact, nobody's listening to this show. Who's kidding you? But, um, <laughs> but you watch that game, and it is beauty. It really is. So it's some other news. I just quickly, before we get to Dom, um, Gia Reyna hurt, you know, 77 seconds into the game. Um, really, really difficult i'm worried about injuries for the u.s team uh these these young guys they heal quick but uh, a lot of injuries and gio reyna that hamstring i hope we don't have a, a josie altador situation where you just never quite yeah yeah you, you wonder what's really going on you know it, it could be a couple of different things it could be bad luck you know where where someone genetically has hard times to stay healthy um it could also be that you know, that he is a younger player and he's not doing everything he needs to do to manage himself, which I find unlikely given how successful he's been and it's a World Cup year and everything that he's got on the table, you know, to prosper in front of him. You know, and the third option is what's happening at Dortmund. Is there something going on in terms of their warm-ups or what have you that's just not 
necessarily working for him. And how much has that been talked about and how they dial that in perhaps differently? Does it, does his, does his warm up, his pre-activation need to be different than someone else? I'm, I'm sure they're having these conversations, but I'm wondering how they all feel about it now that it's happened on multiple occasions on their watch. Yeah. And they, yeah, they, it's probably keeping the U S men's national team staff up at night trying to figure out, you know, what's being done and I'm sure they're, they're on it, but still, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. One encouraging bit of news from uh, the U S men's national team watch uh, Jesus Ferreira scored two second half goals to lead FC Dallas three, one over the Rapids. Uh, I like him as a player. I really do. His father played in MLS as well. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential. I think he might be the go-to guy. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the best way to make an argument for yourself is to do well in camps when you're with the U.S. national team. But to get into the camp, you have to, you have to be productive and efficient in your position in your, in your club team. And if you can, you know, consistently score goals in MLS, that's going to keep knocking on the door and it's probably going to get him a ticket to the World Cup. You know, especially in a position that's been a bit unclear you know, then I think sometimes, you know, you, you have certain pillars to the team that you're probably probably writing in, you know, as a consistent name. But when there's lack of clarity, then you sometimes lean a little bit more on form. So if he can have a really good run in MLS, that might be the ticket to World Cup for him. So one player, uh, Kevin Paredes, who I didn't really know, he came off the bench for the Bundesliga uh, for Wolfsburg in their 4-1 win over Arminia. Um, but... I was looking at this, the numbers. He is the fourth 18-year-old American to make his Bundesliga debut this season. Isn't that just a wonderful sign of the times, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have different parts of the world are, are coming into the U.S. market in different ways. Germany has been really ambitious about coming into the U.S. market, Dortmund in particular, whether it's Pulisic, Reina, et cetera, and giving young American players some some opportunities. So as much as... Germany is a country with great players and many players coming through the ranks. They've also kind of dipped into the U.S. market and tried to cherry pick some of the better players. So more so than maybe most countries, Germany yeah. has done it really effectively. And so we have a lot of young Americans there and they're going to get chances. There's a lot of games to play in Germany. Hey, uh, something interesting, you'll have some perspective on this with your background. Uh, the Revs lost to Inter-Miami. It was the fourth straight uh, loss for the Revs. First time in Bruce Arena's, uh, Bruce Arena's 18-year MLS coaching career, he's lost four in a row. What's happening in New England? You know, I mean, I, he would answer this best, of course. From the outside looking in, it just looks like the standard hangover, right? Like when you win big and when you win, you know, the, the champion, the, the supporter shield, and you win, you break the record for the number of points in an MLS season. You've been incredibly consistent with three-pointers and all these kinds of things. Sometimes you win these trophies and there's a little hangover after the fact. Um, where it's hard to just keep going at that level. So they may yeah. dip a little bit now. And then my, uh, my guess will be that by mid-year to the end, they'll, they'll be scrapping their way into the playoffs. And then they'll be the team you don't want to play in the playoffs. So oh, that, that right. hangover will wash away most likely. Well, you had that, right? As a coach, I mean, you're trying to – you're in a long season and you have to peak at the right time, right? Uh, and And – yeah, I mean, how do you control that other than playing games and keeping players fit and rotating the squads? We see that with, again, going back to Man City and Liverpool, where you know what, what Liverpool plays uh, Benfica midweek, and then for the FA Cup final again against Manchester City in the rematch. I can't see how the rematch will be any better than than the last one, and it should be interesting to see how tactics change from what they've learned from that knife fight they had. 
Yeah, well, the, but it's different though, right? Because you're talking about an FA Cup semifinal. There's going to be a winner that day. Mm-hmm. And so on this day, meaning, you know, this last Premier League game, like it didn't, like whatever happened, there was still going to be seven games to play and the pendulum can still swing either way. Mm-hmm. But in a semifinal, when everything is on the line, I still think you'll see the same tactical game, but the emotions might run a little bit higher because of the tension and the drama behind the win and the loss that must happen. There's got to be a winner, and you, you don't want to do it on uh, penalty kicks. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. Well, um, I'm looking forward to talking to Dominic Kinnear. He's always a great interview. He's a really bright guy, loves the game. Um, you, you know, you know him well, and he's always got some great insight, not only just, you know, as a former U.S. Women's National Team player, MLS coach, uh, and just a, an all-around good guy. Everybody, everybody loves Dominic Kinnear. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Dominic Kinnear from FC Cincinnati. You're listening to Over the Ball. All right, joining Chris and I on Over the Ball right now is uh, a former U.S. Men's National Team player. Uh, used to love to watch this guy play. He's a longtime MLS coach, Dominic Kinnear. Welcome back to OTB, brother. How are you? Thank you, Kevin. As you know, fan of the show, and I'm always happy to be on. Yeah, man. So, uh, first of all, Chris and I in the opening were talking about the Liverpool uh, Man City game. Uh, I was exhausted just watching it. Uh, I watched it on a plane, believe it or not. You got the stream. But, you know, it was one of the first times even the post – I don't know if you saw the post-game interview with, with Klopp and with um, – uh, what's his name? What's that coach's ah. name? Pep, yeah. Um, they really talked coaching, which, you know, thinking about my father, who wasn't a, a, a soccer person, he would always be like, hey, he kicked it to him, and he just kicked it to him. What's the big deal? I'm like, Dad, you know, it's strategy. And, and, and they, were, they were talking about – how they planned all week. And then Klopp, I thought, said something interesting. He said, you plan, you know, strategy all week. And then all of a sudden he goes, players are human and things happen and mistakes get made. Uh, but it was interesting to watch them both talk about coaching. And I thought, well, we're having you on today. Um, what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> no, because I think look, coaches watch a game in a different way. You know, one of the things uh, that I love about good coaches is they notice things in players that people don't. They might not score goals or get assists, but they're doing the work off the ball or making good runs. And, or, you know, so I just thought it was, it was interesting from a coaching perspective at the end of the game. Cause I was, I would have made it a shitty coach because my ADD, but, uh, <laughs> but what, what were your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, it's like an all-star game in it. I yeah. mean, really it's not only the two best teams in England, it's probably the two best club teams in the world. And I think when, and then you look at someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who's, you wouldn't say he's head and shoulders above everybody, but he's pretty close to it. It's just, you just enjoy it. I always think about it. Sometimes you watch a game and you really love soccer. And there's obviously, there's the reasons why. Sometimes you watch it, you're like, okay, it was a good game, that good, whatever. I think right. as, long as, you, as soon as the game's over, you kind of sit back and a smile comes across my face. And it's like, this is why I love the game. And it's, and, I, and I, to the best coaches, I do think they like to hear themselves talk a little bit when you were saying that. And it is now, it's a bit of a, of a ad campaign about how great each team is and how each other's approach and what, Pep Guardiola grabs, you know, Conchalo and hugs him and kisses him in the back of the neck. I, yeah. I get that part of it. It's a little bit of the show. But, I mean, these are two of the best guys, and you can just tell, by the way, that the players play. These guys are millionaires. Here's Sadio Mane going back, defending in his own penalty area. I mean, he's one of the best attackers in the world. So it's, I, I like that part of it when you appreciate these guys not only going forward, but how much they care and how much they don't want to lose and what they sacrifice in order for their team to succeed. Um, so, I mean, in the bench, as guys coming off the bench, you're like, oh, that's right. I forgot this guy plays for this team. It's just, they're well-constructed. Obviously, they've, been, they've bought very, very well. But the pace of the game, I think even at halftime, I think 
Arlo White said, and we can breathe. You know, right. it was like that for the second half as well. And both teams had their swings of momentum. But for me, it's like, it's like watching an all-star game. But every all-star cares 100% about the result rather than going out and showing the best stuff. Yeah, and what, what I think is interesting about modern-day football, too, is these guys know each other. A lot of them play with each other on their national teams, but there was a sense of respect. It was a clean game, too. It was just pure athleticism. They both put their, their, their foot on the accelerator. They were both going for it. It wasn't, wasn't parking the bus and trying to eke out a, a tie or a win. It was, uh, it was wonderful to watch. I, you know, I've talked about this before in the program where I think a lot of times English players used to just play in England. Uh, Brazilian players just in Brazil, Mexican players just in Mexico. Now everybody's all over the place, so they know each other. And I think it changes the tenor of the game. Do you agree? I do. Uh, English players still don't leave England, though, when you think about it. No, no, they don't travel well. The money, and the money's too good. Why leave when you could you know, become a, you know, a, a gazillionaire playing in your home, in your, for your home club, if you like. Um, but no, I, th- I think there was, there was a one little spell there where Alcantara maybe could have been shown a red. I thought the referee was a little bit lenient. He wanted to do, all, do his best to keep all the guys in the field. I think at times there's a little bit too much respect for each player. So the tackles aren't as maybe fierce, say, if it was a comma bowl, Brazil versus Argentina or something like that. Right. But um, it's hard to get close to these guys because they're so good on the ball. And I think I, I appreciate when you watch Tiago Alcantara, just the way he can squeeze out of a three-yard space with two guys around him just with a couple of shoulder dips and fake of passing. And I guess we talked about De Bruyne before, but just his pass that put uh, Mares through late in the game. I don't, think anybody, I don't think anybody sees that except for him. Um, so, I mean, like I said, these games are the special ones. There's only a, you know, one, I think it was one point apart there from each other in standings. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you look at the, the, the run that Liverpool has been on to close that gap, uh, especially with champions league. I mean, these guys are doing it Chris, three times a week. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, the, the, the these coaches and these two teams have, have raised the bar for each other, right? Because, you know, if, if Liverpool didn't come around the way that they have, City would just be a little bit more uncomfortable, but Liverpool's challenged them so much and won the Premier League now to the point where it's a two headed race and, and everyone else is really behind them. Um, so it's been interesting to see every now and then a player or a coach comes in and changes a team. And in this case, you have these, you have these two teams at the top of the Premier League for so long, or these last, whatever, four or five years, they're almost exclusively at the top. You know, the, the mechanics of going in and out, I'm curious, Dom, what your opinion is like, is there a team through the years in your experience that you seem to face a little bit more than others that, that, you know, so well, I know in MLS, you kind of, you tend to know everyone pretty well, but, you know, through playoff runs and whatnot, you know, in your career, is there a team that, that you've gotten so close to, to playing against or a certain coach that you've had to play against really routinely that you get to know in and out the way these two coaches have? Yeah, I would say if, if I go back just one little second here, these two teams are so great. And the one thing they do have in common is they don't really play with the true number nine. Yeah. You know, which is kind of insane. You know, they both have Firmino or Hoza or Jesus, and they both guys always pull wide. So these guys are lighting it up without a true number nine, which is almost unheard of, you know? So, but anyways, to go back, I mean, I think the, back in the day, LA, in the early 2000s, Chris, when obviously we were together at the earthquakes, you knew every player's tendency um, because we played each other open cup playoffs during, in the league because the league didn't have this so many teams. So sometimes you played a team four times during a, a regular season. And then obviously when, when the team moved to Houston, we had the same thing with Dallas, where we played mm-hmm. Dallas in the Open Cup, sometimes in the playoffs. And we would play teams like six, seven times a year. Um, the great thing about those was there were a lot of 
good battles, individual. I think at times it bordered on hatred. You know, I, I think you know that with the, the Galaxy, and, and, and the, I guess I can speak for the Dallas and Houston, there was a little bit of hatred there. But along the way, it was all about competition. And so you knew every player. For me, it was Dallas had three coaches uh, during that spell, which was, um, you know, Shellis was there, and then Colin Clark, and and Steve, um, his, his last name is uh, escaping me. I'm sorry, Steve Morrow, sorry, mm-hmm. was, was the coach there. So it was three coaches. I, I kind of went up against three coaches, but it was a lot of the same players. And I think it's just you kind of knew exactly what was going to happen. You could almost, you know, you can't really tell for, you know, foresee the score because, like Klopp said, they're still human beings. And humans make mistakes at different times during the games. But you can you can honestly go into a game knowing uh, exactly what you were kind of up against, individually and and mentality wise. You know, it's, to go back a little bit to Kevin De Bruyne, because I, I I think you know I was watching that uh, L.A. Laker uh, show. I think Showtime or something. It's um, about. Magic Johnson coming to LA and Jerry West, this legend doesn't really respect him. He thinks he's too tall for a point guard. Uh, you know, part of being a coach is, is picking players uh, and a chemistry and also uh, certain abilities. I, I swear, if you put Kevin De Bruyne in a lineup, he'd be like the last guy in a kickball game you'd pick. Uh, what, what is it about De Bruyne that, that makes him such a special player? Because he almost plays in an unassuming way, Dom. Yeah, he looks a like Dennis the Menace when he's out yeah, there. Yeah, you know, like he is. Little, he actually is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like the little like the little kid that got picked last at kickball, you yeah. know, and he, and he was kind of a little bit upset by it. But for me, he's got two great feet. His balance is incredible. His his Actually, he almost looks faster when he runs with the ball than he runs without it. And he's never in a hurry. It's it's amazing. Just, amazing, yeah. It's, it, he's almost like when you see him sweat, it's like, oh, it must be raining outside because the guy never <laughs> seems to sweat. And I, like I said, that, that pass, they made a couple passes during the game. And even, you know, just his, his, in his finishing ability, his calmness and coolness around the penalty area, he's, he's almost playing, you almost say people play at different speeds. And his mind must be racing because his body is just so calm and cool, you know. So he must be seeing so many different things at the same time that he's, he's, he's able to pick some things out. Let's be honest, the average player, probably 99% of the, of the soccer players in the world, but that last pass, they keep on dribbling. You know, and just and just the and that was his off that was his off foot going full speed, and just the the absolute you know the touch on the ball to lead the guy into space, that's phenomenal. You know, and, and that's 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 you were surprised by it. Yeah, well, it's just so many skills that are are you know not just actual physical skill but mental skill as well to to read that game, and that's part of what the announcers were talking about too. On everybody, they were saying, "Here we are, high above the pitch." Watching 22 people, we can see how it can form. And even when we're up high, we don't even see it form like that. And they thread this, they break a line, and, and, and he's off. So it's a, it, it's a great game. So um, it was a lot of fun. And a, a great weekend in MLS. They had El Trafico this weekend. So oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was, what, 10, 10 yellow cards in that game? Yeah, it was a good game. I actually watched that. We didn't play this weekend because we were supposed to play Seattle but it got rescheduled because they're in Champions League. So, we, you know, they always kind of reschedule the games for the teams that are involved. But I actually watched El Trafico. I enjoyed the game. I thought it was an excellent game. I did think that Rodriguez getting hurt early kind of did, you know, shock uh, LAFC a little bit, kind of put them back. You know, Chicharito's movement for the goal is, is typical him. Um, and in the end, with the, a little bit of the drama with the last-minute call, it was offside, right. to be honest with you. You know, my heart still with the Galaxy. They were good to me when I was there, and I was glad to see them win. Uh, but the, that I always say the club, that club atmosphere for me is the best in MLS. And I remember the first one when, when Ibrahimovic came, 
and I walked out in the field and I've been lucky enough to be a part of, you know, some MLS cups and that, that atmosphere that day with the LA fans and the galaxy, the LAFC fans, and galaxy fans surpassed any MLS cup that I've been to. And it was just, it was, it was a, it's a great spectacle for the league. It really is. That's a, that's a great game. Chris. Yeah. I want to go back to that experience that you had with Latan. Like what, what, you know, I think we all have an idea generally from the outside looking in what he's all about. And obviously a great competitor, great player is one at every level, blah, blah, blah. You know, in terms of working with him intimately, like what, what is it something that maybe that we wouldn't commonly know about him that you felt was really interesting? Uh, what do you know about him that I maybe can expand on? Well, just the fierce competitor <laughs> that he is, right? Like, you know, like, you know. He, he does he does decoupage on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, like, you know, in terms of like, you know, what in terms of his training and practices and how he is with his teammates and coaches, you know, wh whether it be, you know, we have a sense that he's a strong-minded person and all these kinds of things and some of the things that he has said about Pep in the past and his relationships with him. Oh, yeah. How did you find to work with him? I loved it. We got along great. I would never want to be his teammate, hmm. you know, and I will say if, if you see the guy with his shirt off, you can understand why he's had the success that he's had. The guy has an absolute statue, you know, and if you see him in the gym, he's a, he's a monster and on the field, he wants to win, whether it be five, e two, a five yard sprint, finishing exercise. But on the other side of it, he's not, he's not a good teammate because he expects everyone to be like him, which is almost difficult because the guy has an absolute genius, you know, and I, w I would say it every day in practice, he would do something that my knees would almost buckle because he would, and I just go, Oh my God, how did he see that? You know, cause, and you only saw it after the fact and you would think, Oh my God, how did, you know, how did you see that? You know? So, um, but he, he had it all. I mean, still, even though he's been injured this last little bit, I mean, AC Milan, they've only risen since he's been there. You know, and I think yeah. it's because maybe, and I think the players can handle, it. I think players in that MLS are a little bit, not strong to be able to take the criticism out. I wouldn't say daily, hourly mm. <laughs> on the field that this guy provided, but, um, think strength touch, uh, but just, I mean, and just the way he saw the game, we had a conversation one time. And he said, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, I probably don't because I think you see the game different than most people, you know, but as far as, as being a teammate, he definitely tests you. I don't always say he's hard to play against. He's harder to play with because you have, you have to satisfy him. Yeah, so when you say that, is it because he's challenging players in terms of their ethic or in terms of their ability, which maybe they don't quite have because of the levels he's been at? More ability than it is ethic. You know, if a guy doesn't work, we all can criticize that. But he just, and I, I remember we, I got to know him pretty well, and I, I got it in because Henrik Larson, who played for Celtic, was one of his favorite teammates. So I kind of got my in like, hey, I'm a big Henrik Larson fan, so we kind of worked out that way. And I was, you know, he kind of, was okay with me where I would tell him, okay, these two center backs that you're playing against play like this. You know, one guy will go to the ground if you fake a shot. Just kind of give him information because he didn't know MLS at all. Mm -hmm. And he would say, how's it going to be here? And I would say, and I think I've, I've mentioned this to Kevin on the show before, I said, you have to understand the word patience when you come here because you've just come from Juventus, uh, AC Milan, you know, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Man United. I said, this is not that. So you have to have patience. In the end, he still has a fiery Yugoslavian attitude, yeah. you know? And when, when things go wrong, uh, you know, he's, he's not afraid to let people know how he feels. But I will say this. He didn't come here for a vacation. He didn't come for a vacation. He looked at his stats. It was incredible. He's had 52 goals in 56 games along with assists, you know. So he took his job very seriously. I think that's the reason why he's still playing even now, I think, at 40. So do you, when you compare Zlatan's career to, to Kevin's indoor soccer career, do you feel like <laughs> he's better than Kevin Flynn? He will never be able to play indoor soccer like Kevin Flint. That's all <laughs> what I'm was his hair? What was his hair like? That's all we, that's all we care about. So. Yeah. I, if, if I could tell one story, this is my, my one funny story. I loved it. 
because he was, I can say he was a monster in the gym. So my son would come down and visit in LA and zig it. And Chris, you know, my son from years ago and he, yeah. he loves soccer yeah. and he would work out in the gym. And I would say, Hey, just, if you're going to work out in the gym, go sit off to the side. So he was riding the bike one time and I went over to see him and Ibra had just finished his workout and he had his shirt off and he went and stood in front of my son and he just stood there with his shirt off. And he was like, Hey, you, Hey, you. And he, my son loved it. And he was like, yeah, he goes, look at this. He goes, I am your inspiration. <laughs> so then, then, and it was funny because my son David looked at me like this, and he goes, "Don't look at your dad. Your dad's fat. Keep looking at me." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Which is like Ibrahim, who's he, who he is. Man, God, I guess that's a that's a, a, a striker's mentality there. So, um, yeah, no, but talking about Yugoslavia, you you played for Bora, so you kind of were used to that sort of. Uh, I, I remember uh, what was his name? Bogi Bogi Hisevich. Play for yep. the Cosmos back in Vladimir Bogusevich, that's right. Yeah, you guys were youngsters, and I got to play in a, you know, uh, they would pull the counselors off to the sides, and we get to play, you know, the 11 v 11 with the Cosmos. And after the game, he first of all, he's playing in black sweats, like the, the, the big baggy black pants and a black sweatshirt, and then his shirt over it. And all the kids come up to him right after, and they're like, and he's smoking. He's smoking right on the field. Like he hasn't even gotten off the pitch yet. And he's smoking. And the kid goes, but Bogey, can, can I have your autograph? He goes, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, there's, there's a mentor. So, <laughs> All right, so good stuff. So you're at uh, FC Cincinnati now, that great sports town. I spent a lot of time there as a, as a stand-up comedian back in the day and used to start out there when I hosted a show on HGTV. I'd head out to – Covington, Kentucky to Gadsden, Alabama, the world's longest yard sale. But I still just love it. It's a great sports town. You guys have a great stadium, great training facilities. What's it been like for you there? It's been real good. I mean, we, I, it's great. Was, I came when the Bengals went on a roll to the Super Bowl. So it, it, was, it was incredible. Oh, you, oh, you it, was, it, was oh, not yeah. me. it was not me at all. But no, it's, um, I said, great ownership for our team, Carl Lindner. Uh, Meg Whitman, Jeff Birdie's our president and also part owner. These guys and this, and this woman have put a lot of finances and resources behind the team. Like I said, the stadium for me, if it's not the best in MLS, I would like to see an argument to say why it wasn't. You know, the training facility is great. I know Cincinnati is pushing hard for it to be a World Cup city as, as well in this next upcoming World Cup. So, um, you know, Pat Noonan, who was a, you know, a longtime assistant with Jim Curtin in Philadelphia and also Bruce Arena, the national team's head coach, and Pat and I have become friends over the years. And offered my services to try and help him in his first uh, MLS head coaching job. And he's brought me here. So, you know, really thankful for the opportunity. I'm enjoying it. Uh, we had a good little run there. We won a couple games in a row, one in Orlando, which was a real tough place to play. Um, and then we've had some, you know, some good results uh, at home. So the fans are awesome. The stadium's great. It's, it's been so far, it's been real good. And for me, I've been out of the job for a little bit. It's been great to back out, get back out on the field. Loving it. Chris. Yeah, no, I, I've crossed paths with your staff a bit. You know, Pat, I remember when, even when we were scouting him back in the day in Indiana, and then I've, we've had Kenny at uh, Kenny Arena at LAFC these last few years where, you know, I've kind of been attached to that group from a consulting point of view. So how is that staff, that dynamic? Like, what are you bringing to the table when you're working with Kenny, when you're working with Pat? How does the work get kind of delegated? Yeah, I'm, I'm like the old guy in the room, sad to say. It's, it's amazing it's, to me. I'm, I'm there. I'm there, you know. But no, I, and, and like when I spoke with Pat, I said, look, I understand the role of an assistant coach. I was an assistant. It's going to be easy for me. Just tell me what you need me to do, and I can do it. You know, I've been head coach, I've been assistant coach, as you guys know. Um, I don't have the ego to where, you know, I can't pick up a cone or hand out bibs or stuff like that. But And Pat's been good. He kind of gives out our roles as far as, hey, I want you to scout this team this week. You can take charge of the scout. You can tar take charge of 
you know, these five guys in a group showing clips and talking video. So it's so the work is shared. Obviously, Pat is is very strong on what he wants uh, the message to be for everybody. But, uh, you know, Kenny's been, you know, like you said, he's been LAC with, he's been involved with some good coaches over the years, his father and Bob Bradley, as you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been good. I really enjoyed it. And it's like you, you get a new take on things. It's, it's one of those, as long as you're up for always learning and not thinking you're knowing at all, which I know I'm not even close to that. Um, but it's like every training session, like I walk off the field, I go have something different that I enjoyed. So uh, it's, it's been fun. It really has been a good time so far. That's the great thing about this game, though, isn't it? That we're always learning stuff, no matter how much we know, and uh, for all the success you've had in so many different levels. All right, two questions, though. FC Cincinnati, I've heard it stands for something else. What, what does it stand for? <laughs> Football Club Cincinnati? Football Club Cincinnati, that's right. <laughs> all right, and the, and the other one was, what's the name of the stadium? Uh, TQL Stadium. Just I don't TQL. Know, TQL. And I think your producer knows what it stands for. I do not. And our training facility is called Mercy Health Training Center. Mercy Health is a big uh, health care provider in the city of Cincinnati. And Mercy Health. That's not what you want a training facility named. Yeah. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> Hey, hey, so let's let's talk quickly about the U.S. Men's National Team. I mean, uh, I was you know was covering them back in '94 when you were there, and and uh, you had that long hair. We actually got you to do stand up one night, and the boys loved yeah. it. It was uh, yeah. a lot of fun, and you were so cocky. I said, "My God!" I, I was telling the comedians, "I'm like, only athletes at that level can be that cocky with having no training and no, no reason to be cocky." But the the important part was you pulled it off because of your cockiness, and you were funny. So. Um, so what, what are you thinking of the uh, this U.S. men's national team? I mean, when I was covering you guys back in 94, there were some older guys. There were, you know, some up-and-comers. War gave a lot of young guys a shot, too. Um, a lot of college guys had a had, had a shot. I think, you know, uh, Lexi and a, a couple players were just out of college. Um, right. What do you think about this team? Chris and I were talking last week about, you know, players in Europe that are 19, 20 years old doing it for Barcelona and everything else. Keep talking about this team being a young team. After a while, we got to say, like, you are the team. The time is now, guys. Let's play. Yeah, age is just a number. And I think when you look at the 94 team, we, we, age was also spoke about. Fernando Clavijo, I think, was 36 at the time. Unbelievable. Julie was, I think, 34. Um, so it was. we had some, some older guys. But then you look at, you know, he did sprinkle the young guys. Claudio's first World Cup. You know, Alexi, Kobe Jones were, were the young guys there. You know, and they had a lot of the middle guys. The Mafia was Doyle and uh, Bruce, Bruce Murray and Hart Tony Sanders. and Peter, Peter Vermees and John Harks and a little bit of the Mafia going on there, you know. So, but I, I, I love this team and I'm so glad. I mean, I don't care how, and I, I agree. I think Lexi Lawless said it. He's like, they qualified. Who, what else do you want? You know, I mean, Canada had their run. Great for them. Um, I still take the U.S. over Canada anytime when you, when, if everyone's healthy, you know. And I think you do have to stop looking at, hey, these kids are young. No, no, they're good players. And yeah. I think when you when you look at that team, and you look at the squad um, from top to bottom, and unfortunately, you know, Gio Reyna's pulled up with a, with a big injury. Hopefully, yeah. stop him from being involved because we know what a great player he is. The one thing I love about him is they're all great athletes, and we think we saw that in the games against Mexico when maybe the soccer wasn't the best, but when it was time to roll up the sleeves. And really kind of kick the shit out of them, they did. And it was yeah. the reason why they won those games. I love those games. That's why I walked as soon as the game was over, I turned TV off and I started laughing. Like that's the way soccer should be played at times. You right. know? But then when you look at it, the quality within the group and the cockiness these guys have, it's awesome to watch. You know, and 
I think the draw has been good. Fingers crossed that Scotland will qualify for the World Cup. We, we shall see. But I, I, I'd be shocked if they don't make it out of that group. I'm not trying to put pressure on them because I don't think they really care about my opinion too much anyways. But I just, I'd be shocked if they don't make it out of the group just with, just with the way that they know that how to play in different scenarios, but just with the cockiness they go about it because they have quality that really backs it up. You know, the cockiness is something I, I saw and liked, and I think it's something we have lacked in the past. What we had locked, lacked in the past was that fight that we had, they showed in Mexico. And like what you just mentioned, it was like they were fired up. They were fighting. It was, it was there because um, you, you need all those qualities to, you know, to, to be successful at that level. Chris? Yeah, I, mean, I know, Dom, you uh, obviously you played as a right back in, in, in so many times. When you look at the back line with the U.S. national team, what, who do you feel, in your opinion, are, are the four that maybe get the nod going into the World Cup? Or, or let me say it this way. Is there a difference between what you think Greg will do versus what you might do, you know, in terms of who the best back four is as a unit? Yeah, I mean, I think what he's going with, I mean, the, the, the kind of the wild card for me is Sergino Dest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I love Walker Zimmerman. I like a good, tough American center back. No nonsense. Great on set pieces for and against. Uh, a bit of a leader, a spiritual leader. You can tell us for and is also, uh, you know, he may not be Franz Beckenbauer, but I tell you what, he's got a little bit of Mike Tyson in him, which I love. You know, mm-hmm. so I think when you look at the the what's going on there, I think the two center backs, say him and Robinson for me, I think are the two best. Uh, you know, when you look at Dest, it's like he's so tantalizingly great going forward. And at times on the defensive side of it, you're kind of going, hey, stop thinking about attacking and, and, and start defending, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the kid and I, and I, the kid that plays at full, I'm like, I'm sorry, his name escapes uh, me. Robinson. Yeah. Robinson. Yeah. yeah. I like An- Anthony Jedi. Robinson. Yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Right. Jedi. Yeah. Jedi. 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 From now on, please call me C three PO because of my shit, yeah. you know. R two D two, R two D two Yeah. Um, but you know, like I say, like Dom, I was gonna say, like like Yedlin, I love his speed, getting forward, yeah. but but positionally, he gets he gets uh, out of place um, sometimes. He has the speed at certain levels to recover, but at that level, not always. So it makes me nervous, and he's always good for a yellow card. Yeah, he's. He, he's a great, he, as far as attacking late out of the back, that's the one thing him and Des do provide are with great attacking options going forward. But hey, you're going to play England in the game, and, and a lot of times you're not going to be attacking. You're going to have to defend the box pretty well. So, uh, but I love the kid Adams in midfield. The guy can run all day. I'm a huge Kellen Acosta fan. You know, yeah. I, I still think there should be sprinklings of MLS guys in there, and I get it. There's, there's, there's so, you know, the, the, the Musa kid and, and Wea. Um, we're still looking to, I think, see what is the n- the number nine for this team, the center forward. Obviously, the Ferrer, you know, Ferreira, Jesus Ferreira played great. Um, but there's a lot of op- there's a lot of options there. You know, I think it's it's one of those where I think they'll when you're playing against England and England's playing at their best. You know, that's one of those. What's what's your best eleven on that day if everybody's healthy? And I think that kind of will, get, will show you insight into what Craig knows what his team can and can't do. You know, so uh, I'm excited about the World Cup. I think it's going to be granted the team's done that. They've gotten better. And as, if they're healthy going into this tournament, it's going to be a lot of players left at home that, that are some, you know, some damn good national team players. It just shows you the depth of the team. Right, which is, a, you know, like we were talking about Italy last week where Italy doesn't qualify. And yet that same team that didn't qualify potentially could have won the World Cup. You know, uh, because it's depth, who's playing the best at a certain time. And for once, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, you talk about the cycles. Harksy stayed through, what, three, you know? and uh, You know, that just doesn't happen in most countries. So 
Uh, it's happening on the women's side. Um, there's a changeover happening now, but um, you know they had a lot of the same players for a long time. And I think yeah. as coaches, both of you, is that is that difficult to like when there's not a lot of new blood in there pushing the older players? Is it is it difficult to coach that sort of situation? Because it sometimes feels like the lunatics can run the asylum a little bit, and it's it's harder to sort of to coach. That's a great one, and, and you're right about it. I mean, after a while, but the thing is, if the players are still successful, what can you do? Right. You know, and I, I think the one thing when you, you look at Honduras went through their spell, they had a good good unit, but there's still guys there that were in the last two World Cup cycles. You know, Panama still has a lot of guys who were last two. Costa Rica does. Yeah. You know, so for me, you look at Canada's come along. It's just a completely different different look to their team, and, and Mexico will always have the quality kind of recycle players through. So. This is, I think, when you look at it, uh, I don't know how many guys for this U.S. team were involved in the last cycle. Um, I wouldn't say too many. And I think, uh, you know, maybe Sebastian Legette was maybe one of the guys that was maybe involved in, in both. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But it just shows you the, you know, it's been a great turnover and I think a great job by U.S. soccer and the MLS teams to provide the whole, you know, academy, first team. And then in the meantime, you know, you know, selling the players at the right time. And I think before it was almost like, we can't sell this guy. He's too important to the team. Or I think now teams are like, okay, let's get this kid going because, you know, there's potential for, for more money coming their way. It's the right approach. They, they got to move these guys on, especially if they're good enough and the player wants to go. And, you know, Chris, I agree with Dominic. Uh, I think we're the best team in the region. Last week, Mike Waitola from Soccer America basically said he thought Canada was. I thought Canada has done the best with what they have. I think they're well coached. They're fired up. Um, but I think we have more, you know, better quality. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, like, you know, obviously they finish atop the group, so it's easy to say, well, they're clearly playing the best, which was Mike's opinion last week. But, you know, you know, at what point is there, like, the coaching spirit of, of being able to step in and say, yeah, but we're still America. We feel like we're going to be the best in the group, you know. But it's nice to think of CONCACAF as three-headed now, which I think it is dumb, you know, it's, uh, with MLS doing what they've done now with all the Canadian players coming through. If CONCACAF can be three-headed, it, it, it's probably better for the region overall. I totally agree. I think MLS, when you talk about Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, MLS has greatly improved that their programs right. as well when you think about it. You know, so now Canada is fine. Okay, I mean, Canada has some great players over the years, you know, Dwayne De Rosario being one of them and De, De, De Guzman, but not enough. And now you have MLS, I think, is providing these players with a heck of a lot more, even though they're still relying on some foreign players, but providing a platform for the Canadian players to play all the time and shine. And, uh, you know, I used to all say Canada was like Scotland. You know, they think they're going to win all the time. They think they're good, but they're not. Um, <laughs> but now I think Canada's, I mean, and, and the coach there has done a wonderful job of getting them organized. Um, they're winning the games 100% that they have to win, but they're also winning the games that they, sometimes you didn't expect them to win. And, and I think the way, the way they handled the U.S. was really impressive in my point of view. It was one of those, I think, before, it was like Canada's going to go out and beat the U.S. And then uh, this time with, uh, I think it's Steve Herdsman, if I'm not right. Uh, mistaken, right? Yep. His, his tactical approach to the U.S. game wasn't, wasn't beautiful, but it was effective. And I think sometimes maybe Canada possibly needed that. And now you throw in the, the athletes that they have with David and Alfonso Davies, um, Kyle Laren. I mean, these are guys that are, for me, you know, legit players that played in MLS. Two guys were overseas, one guy still in MLS. And I think you look at MLS and go, okay, MLS has, has had a big part in the development of the, of the Canadian soccer program as well. 
All right, man. Well, good stuff, Dominic. Always love talking to you on Over the Ball. My, my friend going to uh, try to check out a game in Cincinnati. I'm there. I think when I'm there, you guys are out of town. We are. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with some old friends there. And uh, with, you were going to be one of them, but maybe next time, my friend. And um, i tell you something. For a college dropout, you are a very smart <laughs> You are a very smart man. You really, and it's been wonderful to watch you play and coach. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot more to go. You got a lot more in you. And, and why, Chris, this guy left Hartwick, uh, the oh. place where everyone wanted to play. Uh, first of all, they didn't even have a football team. If you had a pair of Sambas on, you had it made, if you know what I mean. Girls would follow you down the street. And, and Dominic, with his uh, mullet, just said, you know what, I'm out of here. <laughs> I got to talk to your parents one day. <laughs> uh, if you if you talk to them, that'll be uh, that'll be quite the conversation because then both of them aren't alive anymore. So. Well, yeah. I'm a good Catholic boy. Let, I'm a good Catholic boy who prays nightly. Let so. me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, you know, your father was was your first coach, right? And he coached uh, John Doyle as well, didn't he? He coached he coached some real good players over the years. He had coached John Doyle, coached myself. So uh, yeah. In 1979, we weren't on this team, but three months out, the under 19s won the McGuire Cup in 1979. Wow, McGuire Cup. McGuire Cup. I played in that, man, and that's not done anymore, is it? There's somebody. I think it's called something else, right? The McGuire Cup? I think think it's like a different competition. There's so many competitions now. But this was like, you know, they played a a team from Hicksville, New York in the the final. Soccer. So uh, Omaha, it was in Omaha, Nebraska, where the. where the where the semifinal final was played you know so it's one of those where and back in the day there there was no internet you know there was no cell phones it's 1979 so we're all waiting behind the telephone for a you know i think maybe two parents went and this guy drove his motor home halfway across the country to watch the games (laughs) and he called and just said two to one three months three months celtic of course three months celtic or mcguire cup champions in the house exploded you know and all of a sudden it was like wow. everyone's calling this parent this parent this parent you know so the those, those memories you, you don't forget it was pretty sweet see well this is what they say when you're still being talked about and uh, someone like your father who, who I, I just what i love about coaches they just pay it forward they they um you know johnny doyle was in soccer for so long so many players that he influenced that his spirit is still alive so uh oh yeah for sure yeah, that's awesome, Dom. All right, my Appreciate friend. It. Great to talk to you, Dominic Kinnear from FC Cincinnati. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Uh, Chris, I always love talking to Dominic Kinnear. He's, uh, he's a lot of fun, isn't he? You've known him for, what, 20 years? Yeah, Dom and I were in San Jose together in the San Jose Earthquakes. And uh, when he finished playing with the, how about this, Tampa Bay Mutiny back in the day, oh. He uh, was brought on staff by Frank Gallup. We were all together in San Jose, and we were there for that two, three-year run that led with the uh, 2001 MLS Championship. And with then that, with, just with Donovan, yeah. right? Was Donovan? Yeah, Landon yeah. Donovan's, uh, you know, arrival to MLS. And then, actually, that's uh, this past fall in October. I saw him again, and uh, it was our 20-year reunion for that championship. And San Jose did a great job of bringing us all back and celebrating that that team and that championship. So we all got to hang out a little bit more. Oh, fantastic! So yeah, it was always, it was good to talk to him, and uh, it'll be nice that you know Cincinnati they potential and like I said, a great sports town, and uh, I'd like to see some success there. Pat Noonan was uh, was fun to watch as a player, and he's been with some of the best in, in the, the league under Arena and then Curtin. So it should be interesting. Is it, is it interesting for you as a coach to watch how certain coaches um, develop, you know, coaches? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certain coaches must be better at developing coaches, right? 
Yeah, and and I've I've been around long enough to have to have scouted Pat Noonan when he was at Indiana as a player, mm-hmm. and and I always really appreciated him as a player. And I've told him this, you know, years later, is that he's one of the very few American players who ran at guys, you know, like one v one, like. Chris Klein did that, Pat Noonan did that. There aren't that many. Now we have a few more, but there weren't that many through the years. And then to see him be under the umbrella of some of these great coaches, obviously with um, Bruce Arena being most notably with the U.S. national team and, and, and MLS, that he, Noonan got to come up through the ranks in a really, really good way and had a lot of good advice and then actually worked with Jim Curtin and Jim Curtin's under that Bob Bradley umbrella. So there have been a lot of different things. And in fact, when... When Noonan was at uh, an assistant with the Galaxy, you know, he was here in L.A. and, and I had a, was at a random restaurant in L.A. and, and he was there. And I, my son, I introduced my son to Noonan and, and, and they talked soccer for a little bit. And when he came back, I told my son, he's going to be head coach in MLS one day. You know, it was just clear that he you was can on tell. that track. Yeah. Yeah. He just has really good poise, smart guy, has been around the game knows how to deal with people, and, and, and here he is getting his chance in Cincinnati, so it's great. So it's, yeah, because coaching is not just X's and O's, it's, you're a manager, uh, oh, you're truly yeah. a manager, and I think, you know, the English call it a manager, we call it a coach, but it's, you're managing the front office, you're managing, you know, everything that's going on with the players and contracts, you're kind of part of it all, so uh, it's great, and, and, um, and Dominic, what an asset to have uh, to, to bring in there, and, uh, yeah. and his humility and things, which it's, it's just wonderful to see. Yeah, humility, an unbelievable sense of humor. He's probably the yeah, funniest guy so I've ever met in soccer. You know, like yeah. if he really lets it, lets uh, lets himself loose, he's hilarious. And uh, you know, he's been around the game, one of the better players we've ever developed in our country, right. pretty organically too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and has been around for all the chapters of MLS. You know, all the history of MLS, MLS 1.0 till now, and has won championships. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Yeah, we, when the 94 team, we touched upon it a, a little bit. We did a story on ESPN where we went down to a comedy club down in San Diego. And I worked with it for like, I don't know, like just a couple hours. And, and I said, just, just memorize this and then, then forget it. Just walk up and, and try to deliver it naturally. And he comes out that night, you know, because he had the long hair. He had the long kind of mullet that everybody had back then. And um, he came out with like a French like a beret <laughs> yeah. and I, on stage in front of 300 people, you know, and including all his teammates. And I'm like, and he just walked up so cocky. He pulled it off, yeah. which is rare. I used to host open mic nights in Boston and your first time on stage is generally a nightmare. You're sweating, you're tripping over yourself. You don't grab the microphone correctly. Dominic just walked up so cocky. I'm like, oh God, he's just, good players are like that. That's so it yeah. says a lot. So yeah. All right, Chris. So, uh, so good stuff. Hey, uh, we want to remind of our listeners, uh, you have any questions, uh, text us or call us at 424-229-2247. Also like us or put a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts as it really does make a difference. We're trying to build up a, a bigger audience here. All right, everybody for Dominic Kinnear. Uh, I'd like to thank him, our guest and for Chris Chamonix and myself, Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTV. TV.